hello and welcome to the Slate Political Gap Fest for December 24th, 2020, the Conundrum Edition. I am David Plotz of CityCast in Washington, D.C. I am joined, of course, by Emily Bazelon of the New York Times Magazine and Yale University Law School. Hello, Emily in New Haven. Hey, David. And from Manhattan of CBS's 60 Minutes, John Dickerson. Hello, John. <laughs> hello, David. Oh, what an awful year this has been for the world in all respects. And yet it is nice to know that even in these uncertain times, the capacity of GapFest listeners to think deeply about the most important questions of the day remains unchecked. It's Christmas Eve. You have given us a gift. You have given us a gift of some of the most ridiculous and delightful and difficult conundrums we've ever had to tackle, such as... Should a three-day weekend include Monday or Friday? Or for the rest of your life, you have to go by a one-word name like Sting. What name do you pick? It is going to be a glorious, glorious period of time. Can't guess how long. We could go on for hours and hours. These conundrums are so good. Probably won't. Probably just be like an hour. But it'll be a glorious hour of digging into conundrums. And we have a special guest coming at you soon. So let's get right into it, my friends. I will start with one from Phil Goldstein, the great Phil Goldstein, one of the great conundrum writers of our time. What pre-1900 social custom, especially one related to how people interact with each other in public, that has fallen out of fashion should be revived in 2021 and beyond? Okay, so I had a very clear thought about this. Curtsying and bowing. I mean, in pandemic times, when... Curtsying. Yeah. Curtsying. Yeah. Isn't that super gendered? And why can't everyone just bow to each other? Well, why are you assuming pick. that women would be the only ones to curtsy? Precisely. You curtsy because you're in a skirt. You're curtsy because you're in a skirt. You don't have and to. And why are you assuming that only women are in skirts? You could curtsy in pants. <laughs> and that's also a good point, John Dickerson. Good, good one, John. Well played. John Dickerson comes out hot. <laughs> so you can pick between curtsying and bowing. I included curtsying because I like seeing people curtsy. I, it's like a little hard to pull off. I'm sure I would be terrible at it. it requires slight coordination. Do you think- and I think it's the perfect antidote to our whole hug, kiss, peck, handshake dilemma emerging from the pandemic. I think that because people do lunges so much now, I think curtsying will be far easier than in like the Victorian era. You're envisioning quite a curtsy. Not well, just a little might bob. Well get, <laughs> might as well get some exercise while you're at it. The Calisthenics Curtsy by John yeah. Dickerson. Can, I look forward to you, seeing that on YouTube. Can you TikTok. guys think of any pre other pre-19th century, other 19th century custom like that? I can't even think. The only ones I can think of are bowing and curtsying. I, like, I, I don't know how this would help our lives at all, but I like the idea of calling cards hmm. that you, um, I mean... Nobody calls on anyone anymore, and I wouldn't want anyone calling on me. But you like the idea of a little card slipped into well, your and box. I, right, and if I found a card that someone who had come to the house without telling me had left me, I'd probably find it more irritating than charming. And having said all of that, I still like the idea of having, uh, I don't know, a, a calling card somehow. Um, somehow I like it. I don't know. I got, it's not a completely formed thought. I, you know, it just occurred to me, actually, there is a 19th century tradition that has revived, which is the, the walk as the, as the primary form of social interaction. There's always, when you're reading a Jane Austen novel, Jane is going out for a walk with, with somebody. I love that. I, I do that all the time now. That is my prime interaction with, with friends and loved ones. 
because it's the only safe way to deal with people or sit relatively safe way to deal with people. And I would like that to continue. Uh, it exists, but it, do it all the time. Like go for walks every day. What about, and you can bring a calling card with you. Right, that's true. <laughs> that's true. What about um, making a fire in your hearth every morning to cook your food? I think I would absolutely hate this, but I'm always intrigued by that part of the 19th century novel where someone is chopping wood and like actually making a fire in order to cook the gruel or hot cereal or soup as opposed to just, you know, for fun in an evening. That would be terrible. (laughs) And wouldn't you, if you had any money, you'd have your servant class do it, right? Right. I guess that that's how it used to work. What about dancing? Mmm, that's such a good idea. I mean, we do mean still for, do dancing, but you mean... Organi- organized dancing? Organized dancing with dance cards and maybe even a madrigal dance. Uh, you know, where it, as a social... Well, it, yeah, that's... That's yeah, that's a great idea. I was just reading War and Peace, and there are these incredible scenes of Natasha going to balls. And she's clearly like the... She's the So You Think You Can Dance... Uh, girl of her time and she's clearly she's a fantastic dancer she's 16 years old and everyone loves watching her dance but the dances are all formal dances so it's so i think we have this notion oh these in these formal dances there wouldn't have been you couldn't have expressed your individuality but it was it it, you could have so that's great all right emily do you want to give another question yes this comes from gabriel fribley a pair of 80s-style magical leg warmers must be visibly worn all day to activate superhuman cheetah speed. Do you wear them? David Plotz. Uh, I, I saw that question. I was like, why is that an interesting question? Of course you would wear them. Yes. What's the problem? I know. I you w- get superhuman cheetah speed. I, I, that's, it's more like you have to walk around completely naked or you have to do something which is actually really embarrassing i think this would be like oh those are my cheetah leg warmers i have cheetah speed now and people would be like oh my god it would become the fashion of the time i think i was just loved the idea of going back to thinking about leg warmers which i hadn't thought about since the 1980s once again you've got it you've got it wrongly conceived tell me set me straight for the joy of wearing leg warmers all day long you also get superhuman cheetah speed seems like to me it's 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 the real Sign that we've achieved something great in life. But do your legs get cold? My legs don't get cold. It's my shoulders and like upper arms that get cold. But here's the thing about leg warmers that was so was such a lie. One of the many lies of the 1980s. They didn't warm your legs. They warmed your ankles. No, huh. I don't think that's true because people but, pulled them up often. I mean, sometimes not. They didn't what, pull them up because the if they pulled them warmers? up, they would be pants. No, they went, like, over your tights. That was mostly what they did. People wore them over, like, leggings and tights. I think John's onto something. Were they useless? Maybe they were 100% <laughs> It depended useless. how much you pulled them down or up. But sometimes people definitely pulled them up over their legs. Your husband, Emily, actually turned me on to these, these calf, the, I think the modern male leg warmers. That's these true. Things that, these compression things that compress your muscles and your calves and your thighs if you were prone to muscle pulls. If you're middle-aged and decaying. Uh, So that, I feel, is the modern leg warmer. Mm. John. This comes from Jacob Newberry. Would you rather live in a cold place uh, and all the water that you ever used and come into contact with was cold uh, and cannot be heated or live in a hot place and all the water you ever come into contact with is hot and can't be cooled? I I, I find that so uh, 
easy. It's cold, cold. Oh, I was like, gonna say. I, am, the I hate being hot. Well, here's. And I hate like you know the idea that I have to drink hot water. I'd hate not to have chilly things. I, I would hate it. And what I find that if you live in a cold place, you can get. It's not that you have to be cold all the time. You can still put blankets on. Whereas if you're in a hot place, there's nothing you can do often to make yourself cool. That is an no excellent point. What. You get out of a cold shower, you jump into a bathrobe. You get out of a hot shower, you can't jump into a cold robe. Although you could jump into leg warmers because they only cool your ankles. I mean, they only warm your ankles and therefore the rest of your body would be blissfully cold. I picked hot because I was imagining that you'd have to stay cold, that you can't just like imagine yourself in some room temperature and nice heated place in order for this conundrum to work. You have to imagine being cold with cold water versus being hot with hot water. And how hot are we talking about here? Are we talking about scalding or perfectly balanced heat? Oh, good point. I think hot, but not scalding. Unpleasantly hot. I think you have to imagine both of them as unpleasant. Otherwise, what's the point? And sustained, not something that you can just like end quickly. Uh, David has convinced me with the propulsive force of his logic that he's right. Yeah, but he imagined some easy scenario that's not even really a conundrum. Listen, imagining easy scenarios is an absolutely perfectly fine way to go through life. I've got one. Imagine you could see through a real-time portal into a parallel universe where precisely one historical event happened differently, asked Jonathan Bode. Whenever you look through that portal, you could see what today looked like in that universe. What event would you pick as the branching off point? And I, I actually, now that I'm reading the question more carefully, I realize I have a different answer. Because my, my original answer was, I would like to see what happened to the world if the Roman Empire Emperor Constantine had not adopted Christianity as the religion. I just feel like the world would be so incredibly massively different. But that wouldn't be... But today, I think... This event, actually, you want to imagine something that happened in your lifetime so you can imagine what today for you would feel differently like. So you'd want something that happened, you know, 15 years ago. Had the thing 15 years ago not happened, how would today be different for you? So I think if that were the case, uh, I would probably pick 9-11. Had 9-11 not happened, what would the world look like? Interesting. Hmm. What about Columbus, 1492? What about not discovering but wouldn't have, the quote but Col- new world? Yeah, but wouldn't but the w- new world would have been discovered, yeah. right? Or dis- we're not allowed. That's not how you put it. The new world existed. The new world would not have been conquered Europeans brutally not, by Europeans. This, you, so it would, would have happened also. But what if you could imagine no Columbus and no similar explorer? No. I thought seems- well, you would, so then, are you imagining that ships didn't exist? Yeah, I, I, it's true. I also was thinking of slavery, but then I couldn't figure out yeah. how back, far back in time to go. Like, there have been lots of instances of slavery. So do I mean American slavery? Do I mean slavery in the Caribbean, which I think started earlier? Do I mean, like, slavery in the Hebrew Bible? I was right. thinking the Civil War, so that you have an actual split and you have a North America yes. and the southern states of yes. America. Um, and where we would be in the reconciliation... You know, I mean, there would be like more fully realized Confederate theme parks. Um, and I mean, more fully realized than the ones that exist at the present. Um, and, and all of the ways that that would play out. And who the, f- and then, of course, 
there would be two presidents of each place? And would their meetings be, would there be these various ceremonial meetings that would be the result of ceremonies that had been created in, say, the 1920s when the two countries normalized relations and, you know, a whole host of uh, things like that. And then I thought... It would probably be like there'd be like a European Union where it'd be like France and Germany, which were incredible enemies, incredible enemies up until 1945. And now, you know, you just free transit, people get on. Right. And what what would have happened in various wars between you know, 1865. And so, for example, the First World War, could you have imagined the two different countries aligning differently or um, participating differently in the First World War, and so on and so forth. And then I then I couldn't be wasn't sure whether my treatment of this would be on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. Hmm, that's I think it's more on Netflix. Choice. I think it's more Netflix. Netflix, they're tend to the higher production value bigger swings but it might be hbo truthfully yeah hbo max maybe although i don't understand the difference between the two i have another conundrum it comes from alan dibner for the rest of quarantine you must share your home with a fictional character who is your new roommate i love that question is this someone who is useful or just fun to be with or like has certain magical qualities like you might want somebody who has magical qualities who could like magic, all kinds of stuff that to make life pleasant. So you could teleport places. Those are those are some of the Categories. initial questions. So in the first category, I had a very self-serving idea, which was Dobby from the Harry Potter books. Someone who could just clean up everything. Also, I like Dobby. Oh, what your wait wow. your your you fantasy is slavery? You want slavery? <laughs> well, he gets freed. Wow. Hermione frees him. He could be the free house elf. He could still be really helpful. <laughs> So there's no first, part of you that just wants someone to do everything for you magically. First, you went from to slavery and then to indentured servitude. I'm, I'm, I I'm not consistent. Is... I don't. I don't. I don't traffic in consistency. <laughs> I have another more glamorous and exciting idea, but I want to hear your ideas first. I can't. I, I one of my favorite books is The Long Winter, which mm. is uh, the Laura Ingalls Wilder book about being holed up and. In a small town in South Dakota. Speaking of having to make a fire yeah. every day, they're like twisting yeah, they made, straw because well, they, they don't have even, they no don't even wood. have enough stuff to make a fire. Yeah, uh, but but just spending this totally claustrophobic year. And Laura does a really good job of keeping up her spirits. So maybe the Laura Ingalls Wilder of of uh, that time, and she'd be really helpful. She'd always be coming up with useful ways to while away the day. She'd be, if we, in the unlikely event, we managed to get an orange, she would be so excited that we got an orange. It would be like the biggest day of the year. She's very resourceful. Because we had an orange. That's a good She's choice. She's very resourceful. Yah. So, so maybe her. I was, I was thinking, thinking. Go ahead, John. Well, I was thinking along the lines when David um, was, I, mean, I think Gandalf for the following reasons. You do Gandalf every conundrum. No, no, you that's, bring not out Gandalf. I, that's not true. John's whole literary a, reference shelf you off, is J.R. You always Tolkien. like Gandalf. I can't think, but I can't. What about Saruman? I can't think of anybody. I can't. I can't think of anybody from 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 Game of Thrones. You're fictions that I would want to. No, but everybody from from all the fiction that's going through my head is they're all flawed. Um, well, right, you wouldn't be interested irritated. in them. Yeah. Well, what I like about the idea of Gandalf is he'd pretty much stay out of your way and keep to himself. But then when you when you were in a mood to be entertained by the fire, he would be a store of thousands of great stories. He'd have a perfect memory for them. He'd tell them well. 
And then if you had late night plumbing or uh, other emergencies that happened, he would be the best uh, sort of, you know, he would really lend a hand with lots of useful magic that could fix, you know, right. your septic tank that explodes or, or whatever. Or if like someone came to your door unmasked, he would be there and you'd go, you shall not pass. <laughs> yes, exactly. The, the Balrog door-to-door salesman. All right, I have two ideas. One is the poet Sappho, who I really know very little about. But don't you <laughs> want to know who she was? Like, I think it would be great to be able to actually have her be a human being. And I like the fragments of Sappho poetry that I've read. I feel like that would solve a big mystery for me, who Sappho actually was. Nice. Um, and my other idea is... Um, the character of Brian Stevenson in Just Mercy. Okay, so he's a real person. However, well, he's a real per- wait, wait, but I want the fictional version played by Michael B. Jordan in the movie. That's <laughs> you, perfect. You, so why don't you just say, I want Michael B. Jordan? Yeah, I would I, like Michael B. Jordan. No, I want that version of Michael B. Jordan. I feel like that's a really important wrinkle on. Ooh, I want my. That's in that vein, I might pick uh, Mrs. Coach from Friday Night Lights. Oh, good choice. Tammy Taylor. Tammy Taylor. Or someone reminded me about a Julie, the Julie Delpy character from Before Sunrise. Maybe not. No, she'd be way too she young for me. You She's too young for me now. If you had to give up electricity or plumbing, which would you give up? Electricity. Electricity. But then we lose really? the internet, huh? But you'd lose you'd lose oh, access to the God. whole world. Yeah. Of I all of those we, great shows. We were thinking only of like turning on and off the lights and the microwave. Oh. <laughs> but actually it's not. We what were, th- we really we were use thinking only for. of using the pencil sharpener, but but all other electricity would work. I think wait, plumbing, now that I think about wait, it. How is that so? You'd all the great movies and television shows and all the great material that's on the on the internet. Plus, can you imagine how, what how do all those movies and television shows would be different because they'd show a world without plumbing? People well, would be. This is what water. I wondered. What I wondered about this question is: is it a question of everybody is without plumbing, or is it just you? Right. Because if everybody was out plumbing, you would imagine an amazing, extraordinary set of industries that would be created to fix this problem. You would have the most amazing high-tech diaper genies for adults. And you would it would be taken care of in um in a way yeah. that, whereas yeah. electricity harder to think of the workarounds. What, what I think everyone think would it, get cholera though. That's what happened, right? But here wait, here's a here's a serious question that 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 John's framing just reminded me of. So uh, uh 200 years ago people did not live in a world with you know, incredible indoor plumbing and they didn't, you know, they didn't know it was coming. What is the thing that we don't know is coming? But in, in 200 years, people are going to look back and be like, oh my God, that's how they did it. That was so Well, that's gross. like the internet in our lives. I mean, my kids definitely feel that way about the internet. I'm, um, um telepathy. But what is the thing? Yeah. Like, cause it, is it telepathy? Is it, but is, is it a thing that we, yeah, that we're incapable of doing or even contemplating today or can only contemplate as magic or science fiction, which our, our descendants are going to think of as being absolutely normal. And with plumbing, it's like, so when you think back on the pre-plumbing era, it's with disgust, it's with, it's with genuine disgust because, oh, what the smell must have been. Oh, what the inconvenience must have been. Oh, how dirty you must have been. Oh, the disease. Is there something that we do that will be like that? One thing that's inconceivable to me is that in the future, there may be a time where you can plug in a USB cable correctly on the first try. 
Oh, Jocelyn has a great one. Speaking to anyone in any language. Like oh, that's so smart. Right. No Mutual more translation. Yes. That is that's smart. Because that's that feels that feels well within reach, don't we? Right. Think? I mean the other We'll have like we, a babble fish. Right. Uh, right. Or is it totally. A babel like fish? you would have a device that you would just put in your ear and suddenly it translated everything you said and everything everyone else said instantly. In- yeah. Including what Zaphod Beeblebrox would say. Now, you, John, you've now done your requisite Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references, which I think are the only two books you've ever read, <laughs> except for Man's right Search for me. Meaning. <laughs> <laughs> and you can now go home. You can go back to bed. No, now we're going to bring in our friend, Alexandra Petri. That's right. Now that we've exhausted guest. my entire... My entire um, literary uh, canon. Literary okay. canon. Thank you, yes. Uh, before we... Move on. I want to remind you that we do bonus segments for Slate Plus members on the GabFest. And Slate Plus members get all kinds of great benefits from Slate. They get to support the great journalism that Slate is doing, but they also get bonus segments on the GabFest and other Slate podcasts, as well as lots of other treats and additional content from Slate. And if you go to slate.com slash GabFest Plus, you can sign up to become a member today. Your first year's membership is only $35. We encourage you to do it. If that's something you you have some extra funds for and want to continue to support Slate. And our Slate Plus topic this week is we're going to do even more conundrums. There will be bonus conundrums in Slate Plus. This episode of the GabFest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family. Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will love looking back on childhood memories, seeing what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins. And even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an aura frame. And I hope she hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos. But it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. GapFest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code GapFest at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I am thrilled to bring in our guest for this conundrum show. We always have a guest for conundrum show. And this one was one when we were talking about who should we get this year and her name came up, there was universal extreme excitement. Alexandra Petri is a columnist for the Washington Post. She is extremely, extremely funny uh, writer who observes Washington and its bad habits and its strangeness. Just to give a couple of recent headlines from Alexandra's columns, Americans revive spirit of first Thanksgiving by carrying disease to new areas. There's a column recently, Tips for Ex-Trump Staffers on Reframing Their Resumes. And she uh, she's a first-time GabFest attendee, so let's give her a warm GabFest welcome, John and Emily. Alexandra, welcome to the GabFest. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. How about this for your first question? Ooh. Let's start with you, Alexandra. 
Um, we have another Alan Dibner, Alan Dibner, twice already. For the rest of your life, you have to go by a one-word name, like Sting. What name do you pick? Ooh. Now this is the moment when I look around the room and I just say the items that are in the room. So it's like, <laughs> glass. I'd, I'd go by glass. Uh, pen. No. I think one syllable is important. Back in the day, Oscar Wilde, they were like, he used to be Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde, and he's like, but I'm shedding names wildly, and soon I'm just going to be the Oscar or the Wilde. So I feel like you have to pick like the shortest possible. I don't know, maybe like Reef. Yeah, I'm just saying things that I see around me. I'm really <laughs> absolutely Reef like coral reef. Reef like festive reef. Oh, reef like oh, reef like uh, like it's Christmas time. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah. It's a circle. It celebrates the wholeness of life. It connects us all together. It's so seasonal, though. I feel like in June, you'd be like, huh. Yeah, it'd be like, oh, wreaths here. Floral <laughs> wreath. It's a floral wreath. Emily, what about you? I, have a, I was going to take this in a different direction. I was reading an Anthony Lane movie review in The New Yorker of a Danish movie, um, and he pointed out that in Danish, the movie's title was Druck. D-R-U-K. Oh, this is the new Matt Dickelson movie. Yes. A splendidly percussive Danish noun, Anthony Lane writes, our nearest equivalent being bender. I mean, I'm not really someone who goes on benders much, but I really like the sound of druck. Druck. You don't, you don't seem like a druck. No, it's like... not so in character, but that's kind of why I embrace it. Druck seems like a 14-year-old boy's paladin D&D name. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it seems like something that like a guy would tell you in middle school. Is like I, I went on Urban Dictionary. Have you do you know what drucking is? And it's like I, I, I don't want to know. I assume it's not accurate or anatomically possible. <laughs> <laughs> Two girls, one druck. Does Jack fall into the calling yourself your own name category? Well, we don't know how much you are called Jack. We sort of know it hovers around you, but I always forget what the actual. Well, I've is. never been called Jack, and here's the thing. Men who are who's, who have the incredibly boring name John sometimes get I've to me um, upgraded to being called Jack. It, Jack seems like a guy mostly that you'd want to hang with. Now, there are his also own wood. Ja- there are also Jacks who are who are jerks. So I don't want to make too much of a blanket I, statement. Um, anyway, I want to be Jack in the kind of dashing yeah. uh, sense. I think your problem there, John, is that Jack Dorsey has, has already it. taken that for this era. And wrecked this era. it, let's be He's honest. Wrecked it. Yeah. And, yeah. You're right. People, people, that's a, yeah. Okay. I was thinking, like, I want something which is, you know, kind of very cool and, and kind of threatening. Like Sting, I was like, for example? Well, I was like pan- Panther. Or, and then I was like, no, how about, I like all those Mexican drug lord nicknames. And I was like, El Gato. I'm just going to go by El Gato. But Isn't I don't think you words? want anything that's... You can that just call sma- me El Gato from now on. I don't oh. think you want anything that smacked of, smacks of sock puppetry by disgraced members of Congress. Wait, I don't get that I reference. I don't get that. Carlos Danger, that was um, Anthony uh, Weiner's uh, oh. name he gave himself. I take it back. I want Pierre Delecto. Yeah, that was oh, Mitt Romney's name. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. I like that, Alexandra. Good, good call. Ooh, I've got a good... Okay, so... Would you rather have read War and Peace but never be able to tell anyone or have read Atlas Shrugged and be forced to tell everyone? A hundred percent the former. And David already did the former. I, I noticed nope, the former. But I told, like, no, I feel like, he told everyone. I, I told. That yeah. was, and, I didn't, and I didn't finish it, though. That was very, <laughs> that was very I only watch documentaries on Netflix. That dropped Wait, you've well, never I was finished War and, War and Peace? Can we go back? You haven't read War and Peace before? 
I read it as a teenager, and then I was, my brother was just talking about how great it was to listen to it on audiobook. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll reread War and Peace. I don't have anything to read. And so I got a thousand pages into the twelve hundred pages, and then you stopped. Really, and then I stopped because I didn't. Yeah, oof, <laughs> I could, I'd lost track of it. I liked the peace part and not the war part. But here's the thing I like the war part. I hated the peace part. Ooh, do you want to split it up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the plumbing thing. I also thought the plumbing would be more interesting if half of the people had plumbing and the other half of people had electricity and like you're sort of two warring societies. One side <laughs> totally. one side would have some serious ammunition. Um, uh, <laughs> when you're li- did you listen to the audiobook? Because I find listening to any of the great Russian writers on audiobook to be hard going. I did not listen to it. Yeah. I just my brother had enjoyed listening to but it. But he is more erudite than any of us, I believe. I I think I would actually. The, the question with the Atlas Shrugged is, do I have to talk about it all the time, or can yes. I just... Dr- I think if you have to talk oh, about it all the time, it's just no contest. Like, oh my god, you oh. would die. Also, I did all read my Atlas Shrugged. Kill me. You did? Yeah, in high school, also. You know probably Clarence around the same Thomas time I read reads it and watches the movie each year with his law clerks? Oh, like a, like a fun annual. So like some people are watching like The Sound of Music, and he's like, time for our Atlas Shrugged marathon. Like, yes. Not oh, The Fountainhead? I love head. that. All right, maybe it's The Fountainhead. Because the movie of Atlas, there's there, there's only a very recent movie of Atlas Shrugged, and it's apparently terrible. Whereas yeah. there's a historically famous movie of the Fountainhead. It is Fountainhead. So what did you think when you read it? Uh, that it was extremely long. <laughs> and you re- uh, I would have liked to, I wish there had been a Wikipedia plot summary at the time. That would have been fun. I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't come away thinking, this is, this is egregious, nor did I come away thinking, yes, these are, Titanic men are truly the forces that drive civilization, and we would be crazy to lose their their intellectual energy. Um, <laughs> their shattering so, brilliance. Yeah. Their rugged individualism. Have you read it, Alexandra? So I got Atlas Shrugged and Fifty Shades of Grey at the same time when they <laughs> when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, and I had this awful moment at like the Barnes and Noble you know, checkout line where I'm like, well, which one do I hide inside which other one? And I also had to explain to the guy that like, I'm doing this, I'm going to read them both at once. It's going to be this whole thing. And he was just like, you clearly need help in some form. I don't know what form that help needs to take. I'm not sure I'm able to provide it to you. So I started, I got about 50 pages into each of them and neither was as readable as I hoped it would be. Which would you have to live, rather live by though? Fifty Shades of Grey or The Fountainhead? Oh my God. I mean, or, or, Atlas Shrugged. Ugh. It depends That's... which role you're playing. John, what's the next conundrum from you? You're in a good mood. And you've been skipping to and fro in your favorite... This is... <laughs> Sorry. Keep reading. I don't know who wrote, who wrote this. David Deasy. I'm going to read it, David Deasy. That wasn't me. That was David. You're in a good mood and have been skipping to and fro in your favorite little shorts all the live long day. A hawk flies before you with a squealing baby squirrel in his talons. Do you continue skipping in merry bliss or return home to contemplate the cycle of life? I love that question. I love that question, too. With the ex- <laughs> if you're in your favorite little shorts, though, you're having a different kind of life. Not necessarily. You don't have a pair of favorite shorts? Not little shorts. Oh, okay. All right. I continue skipping because, first of all, I am oblivious and able to block out almost anything. But also, it's sort of part of nature, right? Like, everyone's 
doing their performing their role in that scenario. Yeah, I, like I feel like this really hinges on how much you believe in sort of augury. Like, are am I really like, oh no, that went bad? Did it go by on the right or did it go by on the left? Like, what are the entrails saying? I feel, I feel like you have to bring that energy to this question. So if I'm really into augury and it goes by on the left, I'm going home. I'm turning around. I'm not crossing any rivers or you know going to the forum or whatnot. But otherwise, I think I'm continuing my short stay. But you, but the the suffering and the imagined suffering of this baby squirrel means nothing to you I, I, that part is uh, you're indifferent only is an omen for my own yeah i guess no well there's nothing i can do about it i feel like past care, cures past care yeah. i wonder if we actually saw it alexandra if we would be less detached than we currently imagine I, do i get a broom like what do i do i don't know i feel like it's it's I sort know. of over I it's know. flying over and i feel awful about it and i maybe i go home and i i think a sad thought but i'm not an tell expert the story yeah. So more than more than 30 years ago, I went on a bike trip with some college friends and we were on this bike trip and this for some reason we had to stop. We had a, a like a tire, someone's tire pop, pop. So we were hanging out and a little cat came and was hanging out with us. And we started off again and the cat was kind of st- as we were getting going. Oh, no, the cat was hanging around with us. They were chaining the tire and a car came by and hit the cat. Oh no. And the cat was killed as we were sitting there. It's not funny. But to this day, like whenever I talk to those guys, we talk about that cat. Oh my god! So, so lasting I feel impression like that 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 kind of thing can make an impression when there's some innocent creature that just takes it while you're observing, uh, Did, and that would it would have a, it would have a baleful long term effect. Maybe I had the I had the cinematic, and I can't remember which book you first read about this in. But of shooting the bird and then having the incredible remorse afterwards as a kid. Like, I had that in the way, in the, the absolutely uh, textbook manner in which that um, has been d- described. But I can't remember where I would have read it or seen it described. But as somebody who contemplates the cycle of life all the time, uh, I guess it might just be another day that ends in why, if I saw this. Why? Why, God? Hmm. Why? I have another conundrum. This is sort of serious, but I've actually been thinking about it a lot lately. It comes from Becca Nagorski. Now that we're used to wearing face masks all the time, should we continue after the pandemic is over to protect each other from less serious illnesses? Or is the social cost of mask wearing high enough that we should stop? That is a hard question. I think the social cost of mask wearing is really, really, really high. Really? Yeah, I hate. I live in an apartment building. I moved in during pandemic, and I don't know any of my neighbors because they, none of them have recognizable faces to me. So I can't make heads or tails of them. Yeah, I have an urgent emotional reaction to this, which is that the social cost is too high. Um, I think, especially for kids and young people, like the whole idea of people's faces being partially half, more than half obscured, that the cost is just too high. Uh, and I can't even really think through the other side of it rationally because I feel that so strongly. It's not that I'm, I don't mind. I'm like so law abiding about mass. I don't mind. I think it's fine as a temporary measure. But the idea of it continuing into the long term makes me very upset. 
I think it depends on your norms because the the last place I traveled before these months began was Japan, and I got a cold while I was there. And I I'd never been. And I was so excited. I'm like, the norm here is when you have a cold, you have to put a mask on because you're showing concern for those around you. So I like got a bunch of masks and I wore them on the train. And I was like, look at me. People know that I have a cold, and yet I care about them. And so I feel like if it were the norm, it wouldn't have a social cost but the difficulty is like are we agreeing that it's the norm and because then you get to know your neighbors in other ways but i'm interrupting you i'm interrupting you because that's different you have a cold like i don't think i think wearing a mask when you have a cold that's a perfectly reasonable like you're literally and how can we argue with you about that but that's but not only you know three percent of people have a cold at once right Right. i think that's what the question is imagining a world of like preemptive constant mask wearing out of caution. I think that's also why mm-hmm. I respond to it so viscerally because I'm terrified that the caution we've been exercising for good reason is going to stick with us in some awful, preventative, like sclerotic, terrible way. And I, I and people who are prone to being overcautious are going to have a hard time letting go of it and governments are going to be in our face. And I'm really dreading all of that. Isn't it just as possible that we have the great unbuckling and that everybody gets has an incredible self-indulgent walks around, you know, smearing themselves on each other because they've been so long constrained. Absolutely. Spend all their money, stay out all night forever. Yes. What what I wonder though is would you be um would you look down on somebody who chose to do this because you see it as having as creating or maintaining a norm that irritates you? Um uh, after the pandemic is gone, just because for them, you know, they're psyched to not get colds or or get sick. I think the answer is in my heart, yes, even though I know that's bad. How honest of you. Well, because I would worry that they were reinforcing a norm that then would spread in some way that... Like a virus. Like a virus of social... But I, I don't know, I feel like if people just did it when they had colds or other things they were worried of giving to you, then we could square this circle and all have a happy resolution, but... Yes, I, I think that would be a fine squared circle, is if you wore a mask when you had a cold or, or sniffles, yes. You can have any author from any time in history write your biography. Who would you pick? From Steve Singerman. Mm. And then also, you can have any your, your portrait painted by any artist from any period of history. Who would you pick? Manchester for the biography. Manchester. A nice. Huh. What would it be called? American, American uh, gentleman. The, the story, the life of John Dickerson. Uh, I haven't come up with the title yet, but um, maybe <laughs> listeners can write in the title. The hardest right. job in the world? The glory and the dream. Uh, but wait, do you want someone who's like critically astute? Or do you want someone who's just going to write a nice hagiography that's only your version? Like, you know, Princess Diana's biographer, who was like a kind of mediocre journalist. That's why... Oh, yeah. That's be revealing about you, whatever you... Yeah. No, I can't decide. A man, the way Manchester writes, you feel like there's a freezing cold martini right next to the typewriter, and everything has a kind of slightly sparkly kind of uh, pace about it, and I would like to have lived that kind of life. Or, having not done so, so far, the he would jolly it all up and make it seem like that. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to say someone like Annette Gordon-Reed, who's written these oh. amazing excavations, right, of Thomas Jefferson's life and has, like, added to our store of knowledge and comes in with her scalpel. But I don't think I want Annette, someone, like, with that skill, I, digging around in my psyche. 
Well, I think you want Annette Gordon-Reed working on whatever book that she's working on rather than your own. Because <laughs> she, she has uh, something more important to do. That is for sure true. Alexandra? Ooh, I think either Parson Weems or Suetonius, depending on which direction I'm going in. Because like, if we want the total hagiography, there's nobody better than Parson Weems. But if we want people to have an erroneous idea that like my life was full of hot, weird nonsense, Suetonius is your guy. So I think it sort of depends on how interesting I want people to think that I was. That's a good way to think about it. I would take, I think there's only one correct answer to this question, of course, and that is Linton Strakey. Oh, that would be very alarming, That's a strong though, call. don't you think? Oh, it would be terrifying. Yes, it would be terrifying. But I'd be dead at the time. He didn't write about living people. But just like the, just the, he would have such clarity and viciousness and, but clarity. And it would be a cre- appreciated viciousness about me. And that would be welcome. I would like I that. I wonder how we would come off as minor characters, perhaps poorly. I feel worried about this idea. It's a good thing he's dead. I think he's more, I wonder if he would be vicious about you. I would hope so. No, yeah, not necessarily, the because he was p- vicious about people who were pretentious, and I mean, he was vicious about people who were different from you. Are we being pretentious by not explaining who he was? I think that that would be a good thing L- to do. Well, L- I was going to do it with Parson Weems, and then I thought, when well, we didn't do that, we didn't need to do I know. Strategy. We should do Parson oh, yeah, Weems, yeah, too. No. And Suetonius. Yeah, we should do everybody. We, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I came up with, like, the, I pulled the most obnoxious possible. It's like, Warren Pierce, Parson Weems, Suetonius. No, but I also <laughs> Parson Weems because then my mom would read it, because she's like a big George Washington stan, and like, uh, if... She knew that his biographer had done a follow-up and it was about me. I think she'd actually be proud <laughs> in a, a way that, you know, one always craves. But, yeah, he wrote the whole thing where, like, George Washington was too honest to chop down a cherry tree. And here is this wonderful colossus astride America, a, a moral beacon to us all type book. And then Suetonius was like, did you know that all the Caesars had sex in weird ways and also were murderers? Yes. And that's basically his lies of the Caesars. It's great. It's fun. It's not accurate. We hope. And Linton Strachey was an early 20th century uh, mean person who wrote a book called Eminent Victorians, which is short biographies of people like Florence Nightingale and the headmaster of rugby school. And wasn't and he in the same circle as Virginia Woolf? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. He, and he's... When he wrote about you, you stayed written. <laughs> I love the description of him as an early 20th century mean person. That, that, that's delightful. <laughs> what, uh, what about por- art- artist you would have uh, your portrait painted by? I would definitely, I'll, I'll start with that. I would definitely pick one of those, and I don't even know who they are, those Flemish portraitists of the 16th century, the ones who just paint these young men in black caps and who are, you know, young merchants of Flanders or merchants of Amsterdam or Antwerp. And they're amazing. Just incredible, incredible paintings. Edvard Munch? Um, <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you know what I would like um, is uh, to have a, a comic strip uh, of my life written by Bill uh, Watterson, who is the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. Mm. That oh, would nice. be pretty much the nice. best tribute ever. That is an excellent choice. Emily? I don't know. I'm still thinking about this one. Alexander. Yeah, I, th- I think Goya, if he liked you, but if he didn't like you, it would be devastating. Or El Greco, because then they'd think I was really tall. <laughs> yes, he's <just> very long. <laughs> <laughs> Frida Kahlo. How about Frida Kahlo? I'd have unibrow for sure, no matter what. I'd be much more imposing and regal than I actually am, and the colors would be really rich and vivid. It's true. You'd have a really great tan in that one. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, next conundrum. Would you rather be in a Netflix documentary as the focus or as the nemesis of the person who's the focus? <laughs> That's a great one. Wait, is it, a nef- is it a documentary or is it a fictional film? I think it's a documentary. I think it's one of those documentaries where they're like, in our town, no one knows who got murdered, but later you'll find out. Or like, this festival went really badly. Like, one of those, like, the thesis of it is like, you'll be entertained by this documentary. Wait, so it's, so it's like the fire Festival. Am I the person who went to the fire Festival and then made it my life's work to to bring down that guy or that did I create the fire festival? Well, wait, why can't it be a warm look and, and an intimate life lived well in the margins of society? Why does it have well, to be? Well, the word nemesis Sorry. suggests a certain friction. John. Oh no. I think that people who live good and honest and decent lives can have nemesises or nemesi. Nemeses. Nemeses. Perhaps. Mm. I mean, anyway. the nemesis is more interesting, right? Only if you want to ship them off in a rocket to the moon. Well, the, what was the? Well, I've now forgotten. Tiger King. The, there was the Tiger King, and then there was that woman who was the nemesis, but she was just as bad, right? I didn't watch Tiger I King. Didn't I didn't watch Tiger watched King either. <laughs> I was thinking of Big Little Lies and how I'd rather be Laura Dern than like Zoe Kravitz or Nicole Kidman in that movie. Mm, yeah, I mean Laura Dern. It's hard not to want to be Laura Dern, but also like exactly, the, she was having more fun. The Theranos documentary. I feel like there's the. Protagonist, um, and then there's the professor who's like, I always knew she was a phony, and just gets like 10 minutes of like perfect screen time where she's like, Listen, no one listened to me at the time, but I was like, This woman doesn't know anything about science. And all these old men who knew nothing about medicine and science fell for Elizabeth Holmes, and I knew she was a fraud. It was yes, thrilling. I totally I'm like, know who I you're talking that. about. So I'm, I'd rather be the D'Artagnan than the Richelieu. If you could. Banish any widely accepted canard from people's minds. What would it be? This one comes from Steve Singerman. I, all right, here's one. Um, it's that uh, giving people money or help makes them lazy. Mine is related. Mine is like supply side economics. I would just like to drive a stake through the heart <laughs> of that disproven theory so we could just actually get rid of it. Well, we are also in the Super, we are in the blossoming age of widely accepted canards because what do we mean by widely accepted canards? There are millions of people who believe that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him. Uh, you've, you, we, you said that word. I thought we weren't going to no, say no, that I word. No, no, I think it's fine in this context. I had the same thought, John, which is like election and politics-related disinformation writ large with that example in particular. But then I thought maybe that was like too short-term thinking to make that like in all of time, what I wanted to get rid of. Well, I know. That's my problem is I'm limited by the canards of the, the daily manifestation of canards in our life. So Certainly let's, for right now, that is an excellent choice. Yeah, let's leave aside that. But what is the um, shyness? No, I was, I, I was going to go back to my, haven't I done shyness as aloofness before? That's a good, I mean, Do that's, people, but that's is a that really a canard? Evergreen. An assumption, right? Yeah. A miss. Impression. Misbelief. Um, a canard from people's minds. Alexandra, you got any canards? I feel like the idea that if you're on your phone, it means that you're disengaged from, like, things around you. Like, the whole, like, oh, look at these kids on their phones. I feel particularly resentful of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm connecting to a world of information. But I also wonder if that's my own personal canard that I'm trying to perpetrate. So I, I think there's some ambiguity there. 
It is definitely your own personal canard, and let's fight it out, because I think this one is generational. You are disengaged from the moment, from the present, from the people who are watching you on your phone, aren't you? I'm missing the moment on the internet by being in this room full of people. Yeah, no, touche. See, I think I think it goes both ways, but... Because I am engaging with something. I'm just not engaging with the people around me. So to the extent that that's negative, they are also, correct. Here's the, here's the canard at the heart of this, though, isn't it? That every engagement requires 100% of your full attention. Because surely there are some engagements, even in present, where if two people are talking about something totally frivolous, being engaged with their frivolous conversation can be a net reduction of happiness in your life. So if you disengage, check out something interesting on the internet or informative or watch the, or just finish off that piece of the documentary on Netflix you've been watching, then your life gets better. You don't hate the people who are having a tedious, pointless, dead-end conversation. And then when they're done with their stupid cul-de-sac they're in, then you're all, boom, in the moment together. You're informed. They've done their thing. And Bob's your uncle. Yes. I, I'm so with you, John. I, I think I wrote a piece about this once for Slate, which was I used to go to playgrounds and be on my phone while I was watching my kids at playgrounds. And I, someone gave me grief about it. And I was like, screw you. This, I'm at the playground. And because I'm on my phone, I'm able to do, like, to do the half-assed work that I need to do so that I can be at the playground with my kid. And why do I need to be watching my kid at every freaking second? It is so much better for me to be able to be in a half-attention state for both of these things um, because I can, I can then do both of them. So much better that I'm at the playground with my kid than that my kid doesn't go to the playground and I'm working at home fully. So I'm, I'm all for that half state. All right, all you distracted, self-righteous people. So the issue with this is you don't have a lot of control of coming out of your source of other concentration at exactly the right second. This is my own feeling as someone who does this constantly. Like, actually, you get pulled into your other world, your text, your internet, your documentary, and then you don't, if you could pop up magically at exactly the right second, I would be totally with you, but you can't. That is fair. I do feel like maybe a better canard would be that multitasking is possible and like you're actually being more efficient while you're doing it. That is at the root of the frustration you're describing where people are like, no, I'm being extra efficient. It's like, no, I'm, I'm being less efficient. If you admit you're being less efficient, it's like, okay, this is the day when an eagle comes and swoops off with my child. Like, but I did get a bunch of emails checked. You yeah. wouldn't care though. You wouldn't, you'd You've be indifferent. You'd be that. like, so what? It's just is a scroll to me. How's the augury? <laughs> Wait, isn't, I, uh, so I agree that multitasking is, is a canard, except in the instances in which David and I were discussing, which is, the, you don't need full concentration. When you need full attention and focus, you can't multitask. But when you only need a quarter of your focus, you're fine. Exactly. So with you. So I'm going to ask one that, is, that I'm going to modify, and you can discard my modification. So here's the question. If you and only you could see one statistic hovering over every person's head, what would you want it to be? My slight modification is in, there was one of those Bruce Willis movies where um, he was able to see people who had just done something bad, and then he was kind of a quasi-superhero, and he would go fix things. Um, and so, I, like, you can modify it to be that. So, in other words, it wouldn't necessarily have to be a statistic, but it could be something that they had just done, or or some aspect of their personality that would glow because you had this special quality. 
Did you guys ever see the Black Mirror where you had people had this social rating? That was one of the worst, most, most terrifying chilling ideas you ever yeah. heard television. in your life. Yes. A nightmare. This is a good question. I'm trying to figure out if I want something that will make me like the person more or will allow me to instantly have information that would be convenient to have but might really sour a lot of my initial social interactions. I'll jump in because it's not a good answer while you all are thinking of yours. David and I have often discussed over the years the the darkness at the heart of every person. There it is always there. So my question is could you put a number on the the size of the darkness? So some people perhaps will have like a negative uh thought about a, a colleague. It will be passing and it doesn't define their life. Other people are, you know, serial murderers. Um <laughs> And I'm always fascinated by the continuum because I know so many people who I think, like, what's the darkest thing about them in their life? Like, how, you know, how dark could it really be? Um, but I think that would be an incredibly depressing statistic to have, I think. But it would be, um, it's always something I've wondered if you could quantify. I'm sure some psychologists could design a scale, right? There's a scale for everything. like Right. And then to know. Yeah, it. I don't know if we want that piece of information. No, I think because can do. you opt out of this? Because if you can't opt out, I feel like that would be fascinating at first, and then ruin your life. So I'm trying to think of something that wouldn't ruin my life. You'd have to unknow it. One of the things I I always love, and I try to do this when I can in my own life. Although I just it's it does feel what I'm about to say sounds really instrumental. I don't mean it sound instrumental, but you occasionally run across people who just give wonderful, sincere compliments. Um about some aspect of you. you know, maybe it's something superficial about how you're dressed or maybe it's something you've done and some some bit of praise and it just makes you feel so good. And they somehow have identified, oh yes, if I say that, that this is a thing that, that David really cares about and will respond to. And it would be nice to know, like what is the thing that I could say to somebody that would make mm -hmm. them feel warmer about themselves mm, that's and a the, very i don't mean it to be instrumental of. i don't mean it to be instrumental yeah, it's not good. like that it's just sort of like you, you know it's a way to increase like it's a it's a it's a costless way for the speaker to increase the store of good feeling in the world yeah oh, that is it's like giving excellent. the but perfect but that doesn't have a number well it's about thoughtfulness yeah. though well, and like you said adding to people's good feelings about themselves i love that idea that's lovely that's that's really oh that is so in the holiday so spirit, David Plotz. Oh my gosh, oh. here I am talking about the dark, bottomless <laughs> kernel of malevolence at the heart of all man, and you're that's imagining very good. how to make the world a better place. I thought what you were saying, David, is you if people had an honesty score that would go up or down as they were talking to you, because um, and whether you would want to know that, because in certain circumstances where they were telling you something that you knew they were lying, but you're just going to let them off the hook. But in other times when they give, say something really sincere and you want to believe it and it turns out they've only got like a 2% honesty rating as they're saying. Oh, I've got mine. I want to know if they actually want my advice or they just want me to tell them that I think what they're doing is a good idea. Don't you? Isn't that always 100%? The latter. I feel like yeah. I always think that there's a possibility it might be the former and just having a little sign saying, nope, <laughs> once again, it is not, would be very helpful mm -hmm. to me. Uh, that's like... like do you really want to know whether people read that story of yours that they said they read? You don't want to know that. Uh, <laughs> Would you rather have a new Christmas song that's good, but you can't hear any old songs the year it premieres, 
or not that. You're getting to add one to the canon. It's as good as All I Want for Christmas is You, but the cost of that is one year when you can't hear, you know, Burl Ives wailing away. Oh, I would take the new song. I I think I would take the old songs, though, because we've lately sort of glommed on to this lovely Christmas dinner celebration in Vermont, which is uh, in which real Christmas carols get sung. And I actually know Christmas carols from growing up and going to Quaker school, and I really enjoy it. I think I, I'm just for that experience. I'm holding on to the old songs. I think Nat King Cole's Christmas album alone would be a reason to stick with the old. Yeah, but that's how we wind up with this sort of zombie Christmas from like the 1950s, where we're still doing the same Christmas that they were like, here's the one we were nostalgic about back when we were growing up as young boomers, I assume. I assume there was some sort of centralized meeting where they came to the conclusion that like they just wouldn't add new songs to the Christmas canon and you'd be stuck hearing, you know. Well, I, I actually think this is this whole question is a metaphor for the pandemic, which is that this is a year. You're saying you would do this for one year, and then the next year, everything, the the pan, the, the, the the canon would have changed, and there's a new song. Yeah, and that's like what the pandemic is. The pandemic is sort of saying everything that all the things that we traditionally do, all the 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 rules we live by for this year are suspended, and we have to just have a different set for this year, and then next year we'll go back. And there's some aspects of that which are nice and most a lot of aspects of that which are deeply unsettling for people. I think that people have so little kind of continuity and tradition in their lives that having one place, namely Christmas carols, where there's a ton of continuity and tradition isn't the worst thing in the world. But as a non-Christian, I really don't I, – I have no grounds on which to speak, I suppose. Okay, this is one that comes from my colleague and friend, Wesley Morris, which is kind of designed, I feel like Alexandra might have the most fun with this. Would you rather be an extremely gifted, very successful tweeter who's only so-so at writing or an extremely good writer who's bad at Twitter? I wish I had a more exciting answer, but I feel like I'd rather be a good writer who's bad at Twitter. I just feel like being a good writer, ultimately, you can do a lot more with that. And being good at Twitter, like, who knows in 10 years what Twitter's going to look like? I I mean, I feel like all social media networks have their, they're bored and they have their reign and then they die. And so it'd be a big basket to hit your wagon into. Whereas I hope, at least, that writing will continue to exist. And even if you only use it to, like, know what you're saying in your TikTok, it'll still be a relevant skill to have. So I'd rather have that. Well, I mean, I'm... Totally with you. And of course, like, that's our lives. Uh, But don't you once in a while just think, oh, my God, that was the perfect zinger, the perfect meme, the perfect response. And now, like, gazillion people have seen it and it came right for me and not through any editor. And it, like, encapsulated this moment. And, oh, that's so amazing. I don't know. I feel like the flip side of that, though, is that for every one that you're like, oh, I, I did a good joke and it worked out okay, there's a possibility that you'll do what you think is a good joke that will work out okay and it'll just be like, well, I, I didn't think something through and now everyone's <laughs> mad and they're right to be mad because I didn't think that through and now like, and you now know, and now I don't have a new character of Twitter. <laughs> now I yeah, want my editor back. Thank you very much. John, do you have any thoughts about this? Um, being a great writer on Twitter, wouldn't that make you like a serial aphorist? In other words, if you could be responsible for writing aphorisms like, you know, many a true word has been said in jest or, um, I mean, basically Ben Franklin, you know, stitch in time saves line, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. If you could be the author of those, which would live on. So it's not just like a zinger in the moment, mm. but say things pithily that would live on for generations that might up the 
the reward of being good on Twitter. Because otherwise, obviously, yeah, so you want to be drills, be what you're saying. Um, uh, Google at D-R-I-L. <laughs> there are all these periodic features that come out saying, like, drill is Twitter's premier aphorist. So uh, oh. anyway... It'll change your life potentially. My favorite person who used to who was like Drill and start and still is is um, Tim Seidel, who wrote a book called "Marching Bands Are Just Homeless Orchestras," which is basically just his tweets, which were all great aphorisms. Okay, for this last uh, segment here, we're going to do lightning round questions. Here we go. In order to save humanity, you have to live five years on the ocean floor or five years on the moon. Where do you live? Ocean floor. Ocean floor. Moon. Floor. Uh, which is more frustrating, loud talkers or soft talkers? Soft talkers. Soft talkers. The correct answer is loud talkers. <laughs> this is such I, a domestic split. I, my daughter's a soft talker and I'm a loud talker, and, and I can't decide which of one of us is more annoying. It's very annoying for me to have to tell her every time she says something, excuse me, What? What? Right. What? But if you're dealing with the loud talker's voice is echoing, blasting through the entire house as mine tends to yeah. do, it really and we all, is annoying the, to other people. The three of us all shared an office with a that a loud person, if you remember that loud person, and that was not pleasant. Well, also when you're dining out and you can't con- focus on the conversation you're having because the loud talker is so loud. Should a three-day weekend include Monday or Friday? Monday. Friday. I think Friday, but let's debate this out. What's the case for Monday? Friday seems obvious. Oh, it's so hard to like get going again on Monday. Also, you, 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 you pick up in the next week's only a four-day week. Right. But in the initial week's only a four-day week yeah. if you keep Friday. Right, and you have Friday to look forward to, because like, Wednesday becomes Thursday, essentially. Yeah, and Thursday is already like Friday. Yeah, so you just have a two-day week because you have Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday is like Thursday, and Thursday is Friday, and then you have that long three-day week. That's such a good point. There's like a ramp that starts on Tuesday when you have Friday off, but on when you have Monday off, you get in on Tuesday, and every, there's like Tuesday morning macho. Everybody is like, oh, got to get to work, or we've missed a day. Or. I have no idea what the question is here, the conundrum <laughs> is. It is worm or slug. Like, is that to eat, to be, to look at? Oh, worm. Worm. 100% Absolutely worm. worm. On any Wait, of to, those counts. I like worms. Slugs, yucky. I hate slugs. Huh. I think maybe I'm confusing slugs and snails, but I think I think slug. Ugh. They're so, they, like, mushy. They have such unclear boundaries. They worms are melting mushy, too. Things. <laughs> 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 I don't know where they start and end, precisely. Oh, worms have, like, physical oh form. My, my only issue with worms was when they're dead and dried up on the pavement. I don't like that. Alive, <laughs> I like them. Can I can I present that last answer as evidence in the previous conversation about Twitter? Slugs have unclear boundaries. I mean, that is a that is a comment that can live for ages. That tells us so much about life, about our hopes, dreams, the fragility of humans. So maybe if I tweet that, that'll go zipping yeah. around the internet, and I'll be you know yes. remembered forever as the the slug wise lady. It'll be your sapphic fragment. Exactly. <laughs> on my tombstone. Someone in, in 2,500 years will have Emily come and live in their house <laughs> during a future <laughs> pandemic. And we'll be like, why am I here? Oh, dear. Poetry. Um, 
That was really fun. Yeah, I loved the lightning round. That is our show for today. The GapFest is produced by Jocelyn Frank and our researchers, Bridget Dunlap. And you, dear listeners, were the source of all raw material. Thanks for those amazing conundrums. Gabriel Roth is editorial director of Slate Audio. June Thomas is managing producer. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at, at SlateGabFest and tweet chatter to us there, your cocktail chatter that we would talk about on a future episode. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson and Alexander Petri, I'm David Plotz. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with our 15th anniversary show on New Year's Eve. Hello, Slate Plus. How are you? We're here for, for some more dorm room bullshitting in our conundrum show and uh, some extra bonus conundrums for you, our Slate Plus members. So, would you rather fall into an underground pit full of rats or have a group of roof rats fall on top of you? It's roof rats. I want the roof rats. Roof rats. They the will just rats. run, they'll fall on you, it'll be horrible, and then they'll scatter. Whereas if you are in a pit, you're like, how the fuck do I get out of here? Yeah. They're in my territory. I don't want to be in theirs. Yeah. Wow. You guys have totally nailed this. I have nothing to add. Would you rather understand all the languages of the world or be able to understand the languages of the communication of animals? That's Mm. easy. Animals. 100%. They're, like Terry Pratchett had that great thing where it's like all the birds are just shouting, "Mate with me! I'm dying!" And like I feel like that would get tiresome after a while. <laughs> isn't that basically what humans? Are, I'm hungry. Isn't that what God, are I'm doing? hungry. <laughs> Touche. No, they're just birds are much more straightforward. Uh, they don't have to like come up with car commercials and beer commercials and things. Um, hey, David, do you have that view about animals? Because you that was just a snippet from our Slate Plus conversation. If you want to hear the whole conversation. Go to slate.com slash GabFestPlus to become a member today.